0: Welcome to Coffee Contrails. This is a reading of Bloom, written by Anita Dime. Chapter 1, Flicker Flash. Bob, short, direct, downturned, all curtness conveyed in Stan's tone, and understood, you're gonna handle that, aren't you? Incessant beeping, carrying on for one too many cycles, and was on Bob's side of the control panel. Big flash. Bob rolled a yellow pencil between his palms, smiled a long, Uh Uh-huh, yep, feel the burn, kind of smile towards Stan, and then clamped the pencil between his teeth. Teaming up for well over 15 years now, these two ran operations at the Region 5 Port Terminus, a company-owned, mobile, mid-sized spaceport located in the Kuiper Belt. Flipping a few switches, the exterior keying lights along the spaceport's loading channels began flashing, queuing up the T1 Taipei, an Earth resource drop-off super tanker, to link into the receiving payload system. Bob patched his comlink cable into 37 on the switchboard's patch bay, connecting to shipping receiving. Carl, incoming algal crew, he said. Five cylinders, prime the empties for return. Onboard, viscous pea soup biofuel would be further processed into diesel to run the enormous Hedgehog power generators. Look like Flash. Prepping the arrival of the coppery cylindrical canisters, the huge piston-driven armatures opened the external doors. A system not unlike a revolver speed loader, enabling swift rotation of the empties out of the chamber and replacements in. Copy that, he responded. The receiving crew is ready. Should I schedule the casting of a new buoy net? Yeah, go ahead. Send out those little boys," said Bob. Snowvia buoys were a one-time-use kind of deal. Balls compartmentalized with chemicals that, when mixed, would create temporary gravitational forces, pulling spaceships towards port. Uranium-235 was a product of the massive endothermic reaction, which could be picked up by ships like the T 1 Taipei tanker and used as a fuel source. Casting a new net of gravitational buoys would prep for the next algal crude delivery. Thinking of the last shipment, Bob continued Have the lab run a QA spot check test from several tanks. Check that they haven't been cutting with something. Yeah, sure thing, Carl said, asking, Hey, what's that beeping? If things check out okay, then add these to inventory and release 25 units to Biofuel Lab 108. Bob paused. Adjusting. Committing various procedural system checks and locks. (laughs) Never mind the beeping. Down to 15%, said Carl. Glad they're finally here. We've been waiting on this shipment. (laughs) Yeah, no joke, agreed Bob. Carl asked, anything else? Nope, all's good. Take it easy. Out. Bob cut calm and abruptly swiveled his console chair facing Stan. Affectionately, he gazed at Stan lovingly with anime doe eyes. Say it, he taunted. Seriously, rolled Stan's eyes. You do realize that that this is the air control system alarm. Bob was unmoved. Say it, said Bob. Can't you see I'm a bit busy here? Stan wasn't lying. He was busy, monitoring Lester and Walter's routine harvesting procedure, though all in all, he really had a cush job, one you could maintain with a cup of joe in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Outside in space was a different story. Clamping down on the aerogel hexicombs, Lester locked them into place, retracted his cable, and snapped his spacesuit back into his longboard glider initiating the aqua-harvester alignment sequence from comet Leonis 7. Lester dreamed of cigars and whiskey back at port. It'd been a rough week. With a slight booster tap, Walter narrowed his proximity to Lester, ready to manually support. Gracefully, he maneuvered, gliding through space, the distant sun gleaming off metallic particulates in the comic's wake. Within the spaceport's control tower, a quarter of Stan's control panel lit up, screaming panic. Indicators within reach, thank God, he thought. His attention snapped to his bank of four-inch monitors. After quickly reviewing the data, he voiced his concern. Hey, come on now, fellas. I know it's late in the day, but pay attention. Harness those drafters right. Lester, laying his seven was yesterday. This is NEAT four. Same routine, different coordinates. You get this baby out of alignment, you can explain the space drift issues to Central. The purple and orange glow from the square control buttons illuminated the lower base of Stan's glasses. He shifted, looking more like a night radio DJ than a space aqua farmer. Look a flash. Okay, acknowledged Lester. Hey, what's the beeping, he asked. Never mind that annoying beeping, clenching his jaw in his attempt not to raise his voice. Stan stewed and said, Bob's just flipping the switch now, aren't you, Bob? He continued. He's then heading to the air generators to swap out a few lichen filters. Did I hear uncle? Asked Bob, grinning and batting his eyelids. Yes, uncle. Uncle resigned Stan you guys at it again Lester shook his head cycling through a few too many filters aren't you Lester asked within a aside. hey Walter here step in I'm beep effortlessly Walter took over like a synchronized swimmer completing the routine don't get it wrong Lester's a first-rate harvest technician clocking his second ten-hour shift Clive, who was recovering from some kind of bronchial infection, just couldn't make it out of sickbay. He was still coughing up a lung. Fifty-nine, Bob said, smiling as he stopped the beep, silencing the room. The ambient mechanical chunk of the spaceport hovered. He got up and popped out his earplugs, grinning. You're shy by four beeps, buddy. Opening the door, he began whistling and strolled out of the room. Earplugs, you cheat. Focusing back on his crew, he punched up vehicle system diagnostics. That's what I thought, he sighed. Great, more forms. Forms, forms, forms. A huge, huge part of Stan's duties. Filling out fleet inspection, employee health, and harvester incident forms. He pulled up the glider's flight record and began to log the vehicle inspection request, prepping files to submit to Sid in fleet maintenance. And Lester, you're looping space dust on the right glider's edge. Have Sid take a look when you get back to docking bay. Don't need no fin peeling out there next week. Sometimes it took a small tear in the glider's ultra-thin wing to peel the entire panel away not good. Walter swung the last armature in place, singing, alrighty, it's aligned and secure. I think I'm done here. Releasing With masterful dexterity, Walter and Lester maneuvered their longboard gliders away from the comet tail and harvester. And punching in coordinates now routing back home, he said. Copy that, Walter. See you two on Thursday. Get some sleep. Stan logged time codes, vehicle VINs, and total man hours into the system. It would take over from there, relaying comet arrival times to the Region 6 port terminus, where they would gather the harvest of space minerals and water stores, filtering, purifying, and filling the water tanks to sell the crop over the counter to customers. From when it began, all the spaceports had grown considerably as populations moved off Earth to recolonize elsewhere. Water was a high-demand resource. For this Perhilian spaceport, Region 5 Port Terminus, most didn't dream it would be their final stop, becoming home. Roger that and out, said Lester. Stan sipped his coffee and hung his glasses off the front neckline of his blue-gray t-shirt. The collar sagged, revealing a bit of his white chest hair. He ran his fingers along the right side of his hairline, tracing the crisp edge. Just yesterday, he buzzed it back. He rubbed his eyes, blue with a tinge of tired. His headset blipped, engaging. Stan chipmunked a handful of sunflower seeds into his cheek. Region 5 port terminus. This is NACSC Klondike, requesting docking clearance. Stan cracked a sunflower seed, shelled it and savored the salt. Vivian, he thought, her name as velvety as her voice. Sing it again, sweetheart, he thought. I repeat, Region 5 Port Terminus. This is NACSE Klondike, requesting docking clearance. Stan cracked yet another sunflower seed. Well, hello there, gorgeous, he beamed. It's been a long time. Two seeds left. He paused. NACSE, is it? when'd you start working for the government stan vivian questioned is it really him she thought her fists whitening with tension oh god here we go she flatly started again overcompensating for her growing anxiety stan come on stan clear me for landing already stan paused remembrances on his lips the salt of her on those balmy hawaiian nights He loved her now, as he had then, and cracked another seed. Have a drink with me. You can tell me all about the NACSE. The control room door slid open and shut. Clicking on the overhead lights, Bob dropped into the neighboring chair, a timely return. Stan, where's Bob? Vivian's irritation was brewing, percolating acid blips and daggered evil thoughts. Bob's still there? I know you two are inseparable. So where's he at? Get him on the line. As Bob positioned his headset, Stan waved him down. Vivian, it's just a drink, soothed Stan. She emotionally spun out, like a roller coaster ride, scared and elated of what might follow. An agitated, fine, Vivian blurted, followed by, fine, and a few extra exclamation points of surrender. Now can I board? NACSE Klondike, you are cleared to land at Docking Bay 3. Grinning in his most professional voice, Stan switched off his comm unit and cracked his remaining sunflower seed, leaning back. What was this feeling? Happiness? He thought. Bob turned towards Stan. Pretty cheap trick there, buddy. He pulled a rotary controller from his console drawer. NACSE. Not good, he sighed. Go on, I'll take it from here. He pulled the power knob and clicked, 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 the dial turning to channel three, powering on the black and white TV and Atari system. What, just a little warlords, he shrugged, inserting his favorite cartridge. Stan rolled out of his swiveling chair and raced for the door. Later, chum, he winked, pulled out his imaginary finger gun accompanied with that swell guy, teeth clicking thing and then he skittered down the corridor. Chapter Two. Rushing with anticipation, Stan made his way through the crowds and makeshift shanties of the spaceport. People clamored on in the haze of bartering, which exhaled about the water coolers. The centrally located water coolers were selling stations, where people traded anything they could to fill up their ship's water tanks, to move on from this port to the next and beyond. The spaceport, well, all the spaceports were aging, but this one was an early installment to the rosary of ports that hung within key comet orbits. Company survey crews diligently mapped and remapped routes to track the gravitational drift of the short-orbital comets, aligning and realigning ports in order to keep harvesting production effective within the ring. Self-sustenance was pivotal out here. Various technological features were implemented based on economical resources, time, system longevity, and governmental regulations, which, well, what small amount of regulation there was in this new frontier. Ports became a hodgepodge of things that you just had to make most of. Outfitted with oil refineries for diesel and kerosene distillate production from algal crude, the spaceport was a noisy, hot place. Diesel took fewer processes to make the fuel and gave off more energy when burned. More bang for the buck. The toxic nitrogen and acidic black gooky byproduct from the most part were either cycled to the lower farming levels for supplementing genetically multi-flavored enhanced mushrooms or blown out into space. The equipment aged with everything else within the port. The CRT particulate filters and catalytic converters failed more frequently. Leakage into the interior hull of the ship was apparent, but these processes were a necessity for the sake of the power generators. Central, the water company's main headquarters, flourished with business. Wealth stockpiled beyond imagination because, you know, come on, who could live out here without water? Inadvertently, the spaceports became trading posts, bazaars like Tokyo's once well-known Akihabara. This created several profitable side businesses for Central. All that wealth went into minimal port maintenance within the Rosary and high-tech ship development, which kept operations going by getting resources anywhere. Weaver ships, which traveled faster than anything out there connecting remote terraformed colonies, mining stations, and the like, but never served as commuter flights. Rich, non-commercial ships would come and go, but many people got stuck in this middle world. The poor dreamers aspired to live off planet, having depleted savings to get this far. No money, no ability to pay for water. They became permanent port fixtures, odd jobbers, saving to leave. The lucky ones got employed by the water company, steady money, and then they became lazy, choosing to stay comfortably within the known. They ran the refinery equipment, harvested water and mineral collections, flew longboard gliders within the fleet, machined maintenance parts, or clerked in shipping and receiving. The somewhat lucky got hired on for scraping the inner hull section by section removing blackened gook for water rations and food stamps. The raccoon eyes gave them away. Oily blackened rings from the respirators slowly tattooed their facial pores. Over time, they created a network of snitchers spying from above the marketplace. They watched and noted all the daily transactions. Quite a second income, really. So the spaceport's headcount slowly accrued and long chains of tethered, derelict ships bobbed outside, waiting to be reclaimed to continue the journey. Chapter 3 Stan passed through to the docking bay, greeting Vivian as she removed her lipstick-red helmet, her black tresses tumbling around her spacesuit. Vivian, baby, you're the bee's knees. Scrap it, Stan. Jeez. She flared all shades of crimson, flustering when he laid one on her. Why you... Oof! She pushed him away, tripping on a diamond track edger, nearly falling. But he steadied her. Deep down, she was flattered. Nice Bugatti, he patted her compact, streamlined ship. I like the retro curves. Pretty cool. He smiled. Emphatically, he urged, Come on, I'll buy you that drink. She was all act, and he knew it, taking her helmet in hand and grabbing her by the elbow. The landing crew would take care of her craft. Stan guided her through the crowds to cargos, one of the three bars in the joint. Bioluminescent bacteria spheres floated within the small circular moat, rhythmically pulsing blue with the mechanical hum of the port and softening the riveted metal framework of the room. The company had updated a few onboard systems like lighting, an easy, cost effective improvement. Setting her helmet on a stool, he nestled in around her at the bar. Gin fizz and a whiskey sour, Billy, ordered Stan, sweltering charisma. Vivian fidgeted, looking first at the row of glowing bottles behind the mahogany bar, then nervously at her hands, studying her manicure. Feeling the weight of his stare, she rummaged through her hip pack for an electronic cigarette and lit one. How long had it been, she thought, feeling his presence enveloping her, protectively cocooning her. The familiarity, she mused, instantly diverting to a new thought. The vaporous smoke swirled wrapped around her pinky, softly glowing blue from the cigarette's tip. Resting her thumb's cuticle upon her lip, she slowly edged her lip line with her nail. Damn memories, she cursed, zipping up her pack, hiding again. He palmed her cheek, catching her off guard. Her eyes snapped to his, pupils sparking, dilating upon seeing his openness. He knew if he waited in silence long enough, she would eventually settle in. And she did. "'Oh, Stan,' she smiled, warming, all mushy inside. "'I give. I missed you too, all right?' An introspective thought clawed at her gut. "'Was that regret?' Dwelling sucked, so she moved the conversation forward, starting where they had ended so long ago. "'The job really turned out to be a chance of a lifetime. "'Look where I am now. "'Was she convincing him or herself?' She continued. Me, a lichenologist. She glowed with pride of accomplishment. Billy set the drinks down before them and moved to the sink to tidy up a bit, appearing busy and out of earshot. Stan's frustration was coiling, retracting within himself. A lichenologist working for the NACSE, groused Stan. Yeah, she had chosen the job over him. The mechanical hum of the ship filled the suspended silence. She shifted uncomfortably. Well, yes. Look, the water company has been cited a PSD, Prevention of Significant Deterioration Permit. Yeah, I know what it is. We were updated to the new air system 12 years ago, and just inspected, too, he punctuated. Two years ago. You're early. Stan swirled his highball. The ice, a luxury, glittered with purple-green mica particulate. A club signature. The Clean Air Act has been amended with new NCIS field data and a new mandate passed. Class 1 areas have been moved to a two-year versus five-year cycle. She unzipped the top section of her suit unwinding into what she felt most comfortable with, work. Population densities are getting heavier out here in this region of the Kuiper Belt, and they're stepping up the detection of air pollutants in your atmospheric systems. Seriously, how many people do you have on board this station now? You got a parking lot of space junk tethered to eternity outside. And how is your doctor holding up? I wouldn't be surprised if the logged respiratory cases are rising. Or have you been asked to curb the numbers? On or off the record, Stan took another swig. All the work chatter had put a damper on his mood. Yeah, right, he slid sarcastically. Clean air act, blah. You know, it's all a racket. They just want their cut is all. Since when do they really give a damn about people out here? He took another drink. They're only squeezing more dough from the water company, forcing payment, or we risk being shut down. I don't know about that, said Vivian. You're so cynical. Some agency needs to dictate laws for the well-being of people, or we'll be faced with new epidemics. She dragged the peanut dish closer and munched down a few. All right, different angle, she postured. I give a damn about people. That's why I'm here, and do what I do. Silence fell heavy. I'll run a few tests, review the lichen bio-indicators tomorrow. Casually, Billy inserted himself into the conversation, like a host checking on his guests. Your cigarette, you need any flavor cartridges? He asked. I've got tobacco, peach, and menthol. Yeah, I do. A bit tricky finding them. I'll take two tobaccos, she said, feeling Stan's coolness. Billy nodded. Turning his back to them, he concealed his motions, pulling two tobacco cartridges from the drawer, one from the main supply, and the other from a slim black box with red flame logo. Closing the drawer, he paused for a moment, looking at the couple's reflection in the bar mirror. They didn't notice, he thought. Turning once more, his smile appeared, placing them on the bar. I'll add that to your tab, Stan. Sounds good. Thanks, Billy, acknowledged Stan, and Billy drifted to the backdrop. Vivian downed half her gin fizz and shifted to other topics. So what are you paddling around in this Kuiper belt for anyway? I figured you'd be terraforming, or asteroid mining, or something. But aqua farming? I don't know, this gig pays a hell of a lot more, sweetheart. And I'm less likely to get stranded out on a rock somewhere. It'd be my luck that some company would close up shop, save on expenditures, and leave me out there. I'll learn from Emmett's mistakes, thank you very much. He raised his glass to lost college friends. Yeah, nearly whispering, Vivian toasted sullenly. Emmett had been her first love. He had impressed her with rock music and sushi rolls, carried a set of ebony chopsticks in his boots engraved with pink opal cherry blossoms. Oh, look, she yielded. I'm tired, Stan. Sure, of course. I'll show you to your bunk. They downed the last of it, and he showed her to the closet-sized guest quarters, leaving her alone to the hum of the ship and the soft glow of orange lichen clusters upon her walls. Well... That was better than expected, Stan thought. Chapter 4 Day came too soon. Vivian followed the ship maps to the labs. Donning coveralls and respiratory mask, she began with sample retrieval from the air shafts, register returns, and atmosphere generators. The algae-incept-respiratory, A-I-R, generators were huge, transparent arcing lichen tanks which had replaced the bulk of the exterior ship panels wrapping the outside of the ship lichen's hardy survival skills in extreme environments beautifully lent itself to this adaptation in space cheap too in comparison to the active instrumented air quality monitors why not double duty creating oxygen through the lichen's photosynthetic system while supporting sensitive atmospheric safety features. The fungal component within lichen's symbiotic relationship had been genetically modified to withstand the external forces of space, while the algae gathered blue and red light waves from the distant sun. The lichen filtering system cleaned internal air supplies, using carbon dioxide and caustic nutrients to grow, producing oxygen, worked like a charm when in balance. Vivian spent the day studying floristic and element baselines, tissue concentrations of persistent organic chlorides, and watched the nitrogen dioxide levels spike dangerously outside the cautionary limits. Dismayed, she pulled away from the equipment after seeing the pending doom. Solving the spaceport's air quality control problems was going to be complicated and unclear. It was obvious that the population needed to be decreased, but by how many, and how quickly could it be carried out? With fewer people to support, all the other manufacturing could be culled back. Vivian wrapped things up, slung her overalls over a chair. She found herself in sick bay, interviewing Doctor Morrison, a handful of patients. All suffering from some sort of respiratory infection. She made copious notes on her recorder. Dates, symptoms, longevity, fatalities, anything that could help her measure the severity of the situation. Afterwards she wandered towards the belly of the ship where the bulk of the people mingled, trading wares and food. Stressed, she needed a walk. five. The machines droned. Cha-chum, cha-chum, cha-chum. The active noise cancellation systems weren't a hundred percent. She walked by machine shops and craftsmen grinding and cutting parts to repair the engines that made the port go. Gazing up to the ceiling of the inner ship's hull, she wished she could see her invisible foe, knowing those toxic fumes caress everyone and everything. Listlessly, she passed from vendor stall to stall, hands tracing across capacitors, resistors, recycled copper wire, LEDs, and tin can music makers, people scrapping parts from their ships to trade for food, a livelihood that they created from the lost dreams of abandoned worlds originally sought. Ships, (laughs) ships that they would need now to flee this death trap, she thought. Vivian found herself at the control room corridor. Her badge clearance would get her here, inside the inner hallway, but no further. She slumped to the ground, flipped her recorder on, and in her solitude began to dictate her findings, entering in PSD form details. Waiting, Stan was bound to turn up, to or from his shift. She bent her head over the recorder and continued on. Twenty minutes passed before Stan appeared. What's up, buttercup? Mmm, you're looking a bit beat. Coffee? He offered her his steaming mug. No, it's okay. She pushed against the wall, standing. You got a minute? Sure, I was just starting my shift. But you're welcome to come in and hang out, he invited, badging through the control room door and flicking off the portal lights. Their eyes adjusted to the warm glow of the console buttons. Have a seat. He lit a candle. Hey, Bob. Vivian smiled. Hey ya, Angel. Good seeing ya. Bob stood wildly hugging her. Been so long. (laughs) Bobsy twins, I figured you wouldn't go anywhere without each other. The familiarity of it all, being back with the boys, felt good. Fond memories. Well, someone's got to clean up after this idiot, Bob cajoled. Go on, have a seat. Stan dropped into his swivel chair, flipped on his headset, and began reading the system logs to catch up on the current. (laughs) What did you find out? Well, Vivian began hesitantly, not knowing how to begin. Not, Not easy being a death angel of sorts. Well, it doesn't look good, guys. I've completed my report. I'm just not certain what comes next. And, said Stan, hanging on her words, Stan, this port needs to be evacuated. The air systems have reached more than reached capacity. After talking with your ship's doctor, it sounds like respiratory cases have been on the rise in the last six months. And I'm afraid the longer you limp along like this, the higher risk you take with everyone's lives. Evacuation? How exactly does that happen? If these folks had the means, they'd be out of here already, said Stan. I I know. I know. All morning I've been trying to get my head wrapped around it. I just don't know. Many have already stripped components from their spaceships in order to buy necessities. You can see it in the bazaar. How many of those vehicles floating out there actually run anymore, asked Vivian. Bob put away some random binders. Stan, you think the company would step in at all? (laughs) Yeah, that's a joke, replied Stan. They hardly make repairs around here. Didn't address any of the items from the last NACSC inspection. If anything, they'd abandon this port, pushing it out of orbit to drift and bring in a new high-tech port. Bob sulked in his chair. Cheaper to start all over than retrofit, I guess. It would contain any disease element there might be, too, added Vivian. Vivian, have you sent the report yet? asked Bob. No, no, I wanted to talk to you two first. Maybe you could introduce me to a decision maker around here so we can come up with a solution together. (laughs) "'Yeah, decision-makers, right? You're looking at them,' snickered Bob. "'We're the highest-ranking employees on board. Everyone else is at Central, keeping their distance to reduce their risk,' said Stan. "'Stan,' said Vivian. "'Maybe asteroid mining looks a bit better now?' she shrugged, a half-smile. A poor attempt at lightening the mood. "'A gathering. We'll have a gathering.' said Stan. Bob, make an announcement, will you? We'll head down to the marketplace, Stan proclaimed. Oh, goody. A gathering, thought Bob. He switched on the PA system and announced, Those on board who want to live, please report to the marketplace for a gathering. Ah, great, brilliant. No panic there at all, Stan scolded. Chapter 6 By the time Stan and Vivian reached the marketplace, a frenzy buzzed through the crowd, a quelling panic or stifled cough about to erupt with mass body odors stoking the flames of discomfort. What's going on, rumbled the crowd as Stan and Vivian climbed upon a few crates. Billy, the bartender, pulled the gate down on the bar. Moving towards the back of the group, saddling up next to the snitcher. Adjusting her goggles to rest upon her forehead, the snitcher, Myra, scratched an itch on her cheek, smearing sooty circles beneath raccoon eyes. She clonked together the heels of her steel-toed boots, strapping her respirator to her tool belt. It sagged from the weight of her tools. Billy climbed up to the scissor jack platform, sitting down and swinging his legs out over the edge next to hers. He pushed a chiclet her way, which was eagerly accepted, of course. She smiled falsely, anger building inside of her, stating, this isn't going to be good news, is it? No, no, I don't think so, Myra. Billy leaned his elbows across the lower metal bar of the cage, Stan looked at Vivian and vice versa. They just worked here like everyone else. How do you begin a calm doomsday conversation with a confused mob of people that will be losing their home? Quiet, please, everyone. I know the best, I know not the best announcement. Stan apologized quickly and moved on. So, this is Vivian. She is from the NACSE agency and has been inspecting the port's air systems. Vivian, can you please share your findings? Thanks, Dan, sure. Raising her voice, she continued. I thought this was going to be all routine stuff, but the indicators aren't good. The port has reached its maximum levels. It's a delicate situation, and there isn't any other way to say it. People are getting sick. It can't be put off any longer. One, the population must be decreased, or we'll all die. And two, the machinery repairs must be a higher priority. A murmur filtered through the crowd, stopping upon a gray, stubbly man with a Newsy-style woolen cap. So who goes? Who stays? The company going to send ships? The government going to send ships, or what? Please calm down, Stan interjected, trying to calm the group. My my sense of the company is that they will escort people out to their tethered ships and send you on your way. Not quite the reassuring thing to say. He rushed on to the next bit. But I, I understand it would be a death sentence. Starvation. You would have left a long time ago if you, if you could have. The company isn't interested in becoming a domicile, so sending fast ships to evacuate people to wherever, I doubt it, costs too much. Cheap bastards, yelled Snitcher, drawing all eyes. Myra's voice carried over the crowd from her perch. Can't afford to maintain their equipment? Myra knew the equipment inside and out. The power generator engines were top notch and equipment stress levels could have been monitored. They're just cheap is all. Company not replacing warm parts or replacing it longer than intended intervals. The anger began to swell within the group. A white-hot rage of making do for too long. Company fault or no. I hear you. We'll make it an internal priority. You seem to know a lot about the power generators, and certainly not afraid to speak your mind. How about leading the maintenance crew in identifying failing equipment and task a scavenging crew? Stan tried to remain calm, focusing on delegating work in constructive ways. 2006 RJ-103, called out Billy's voice. Stan shifted his weight. What's that? asked Anne straining to hear. 2006 RJ-103, Billy repeated. There's an asteroid mining colony on Neptune's Trojan moon, 2006 RJ-103. And it sits within the interplanetary transport network. So well supplied. It's getting there, that's the trick. A murmur of optimism circled the room and quieted at Vivian's feet. I've been there for air quality inspections. It has the space and water resources, but for those who go, it would mean indentured servitude, hard labor in exchange for room and board with three square meals a day," Vivian remarked. Mining. It's a tough choice, but between death versus death, I'd take this option a lanky fellow piped up. The crowd began to internalize options and and silently their conclusions divided the group. What about the children? cried out a man's voice. Stan didn't know what to say. Would he give them onboard preference? Who would care for them? Then mechanically spilling forth he said, one child from each family may stay. Clans Meet and choose a storyteller and a nan to care for the children. I'll see if I can get transport back to Earth for the remaining. Stan's voice quivered. Dividing families was never in his career plans. Vivian grasped his hand, offering her strength, knowing the options sucked. It's pretty bad, she thought, squeezing his hand. If you don't do anything, we'll all die. Myra leaned in closer to Billy. What about commandeering the spaceport? She whispered, meeting him eye to eye. I know, timing's crazy, isn't it? He said. Do we stick with the plan? Asked Myra. Yes, we push outside the rosary and move to Neptune's Trojan moon. The supply route is busy and unincorporated. Maybe it'll delay company action, she suggested. We can reevaluate once we get there. Sure. I suppose as long as this uh, Vivian lady's report hasn't been submitted, the company wouldn't know what's coming. Billy lowered his voice, discreetly handing her the slim black box with the red flame logo. (laughs) I didn't think I'd actually have to use this. The scientist, she smokes electronic cigarettes, Billy continued. She bought two. So I can't control when she switches to the spiked cartridge. But when she does, she's a goner. Maybe it'll buy us some time. Myra's face blanched. Everything their plans to commandeer the port, the severity of their actions, and the necessity to evacuate everyone was accelerating. Erupting like a toxic algal bloom in a sea of stars. You've been listening to a Coffee Contrails reading of Bloom by Anita Dime. We'd like to hear from you. Visit coffeecontrails.com and tell us your thoughts and such. You'll find Facebook and Twitter links as well as other content. Money, money helps. Please support contributing authors by buying one of their stories. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening.